small book. You're probably already there and, uh, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, hidden away. We uh, covered Jonah chapter 1 last week. I want to begin this morning uh, just with a, a, a couple of thoughts. Because, you know, some messages, I think, unlike other messages, um, as we prepare those messages as pastors... We, we do some thinking, we do some praying, and we, we do some decision-making, if you will. And as a result of that, I think it's easier for us to kind of know what you can expect. And so, you know, when I was growing up in church, I remember after I met the Lord that pretty much we, we attended church three times a week in, in an assembly-type gathering uh, back then. Oh, thank you, guys. Anybody need a worship guide? Yeah, thank you. These guys are doing the right thing, waiting for me. Good, we got several, good. All right, just keep your hands up and they'll get you one. So I, I, uh, I attended church three times a week and in each service that we attended, there would be an invitation given to come forward and, uh, and, and, and make decisions. And oftentimes, <clears throat> I felt that uh, you know, the, the success of the service was based on how many people came forward. Um, I feel as if maybe there was more of a, a crisis type mentality in those invitations that, you know, every, every invitation was a crisis moment in, in, in your life that you needed to get right. I've come to learn, and again, maybe this is uh, a part of my maturity because I, listen, I'll tell you for sure, I've got a long way to go and I think I've come a long way. But the process, I think the process of the Christian life is more what God's concerned about than the crisis of the Christian life. The Christian life is a process. It's sermon after sermon. It's Bible study after Bible study. It's, it's answered prayer after answered prayer. It's, it's not always putting a fire out. Sometimes it's just taking the next step. And, and so I, I kind of left that mentality and transitioned more into a thinking that, though we still give an invitation, um, that I, you know, not, not every invitation is, is for, for everybody. Uh, also, there, <clears throat> there, there was this danger. Uh, I, I remember, you know, certain people would come forward, like say five or six people would come forward, and if we're not careful, the congregation would think, well, I sure am glad they, they needed that. It's good to see those people going forward. And I'm, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't need it, but I'm glad they did. And, and so what happens is you can build a culture of the only people that really need the sermon is the ones that go forward and get right with God, you know. And uh, that's, not, that's not true either. So I've matured some in, in how I give an invitation. And, and, and we've, we've changed, in, in a sense, you know, the, the emphasis on holding a service out or continuing to go until enough people come forward. With that said, okay, that's the foundation for this statement, that I do believe there are some sermons where the invitation is very necessary. And where there needs to be an emphasis on the invitation in a strong way for even those of us who, who maybe are saved and know the Lord. Such is the sermon this morning. You see, Jonah chapter number one, two, there, there's really no way to preach that message, the theme of the message of Jonah, without there being a call to repentance. And when I say repentance, I'm not speaking primarily to the lost when I say that because Jonah was saved. Jonah knew the Lord. 
And as we review Jonah chapter 1, moving into Jonah chapter 2, I want to remind you that God wanted Jonah to preach the gospel to the Ninevites. Do you remember that? God called him to do that. That was what God was calling Jonah to do. It would have been the will of God for Jonah to obey God and answer the call to preach the word to Nineveh. But Jonah made it complicated. Jonah complicated the will of God by saying, no. We really mess things up when we say no to God. Because, see, God's always got our best interest in mind. And if God is asking us to do something, I can assure you it's, it's going to be a good thing. And God has a great plan for our lives. And God has appointed us, and we'll see that in just a moment, to certain things that he's called us to do. And so Jonah complicates it by saying, no, God says to go east. Jonah goes west, and he gets on this ship in Joppa, and he heads off to Tarshish away from the Lord. But God went after him. God went after him, and God pursued him relentlessly. God made this crazy storm. In fact, as we study Jonah chapter 1, it says that even the mariners were afraid of the storm. I mean, here, these guys, no question, they had experience in navigating their way through storms. But even these guys were freaking out. Even these guys who had a, uh, you know, who had a, uh, you know, a, a experience, if you will, in these types of situations, they had never it seems like, at least from reading the passage, they had never seen any storm like this. This was the storm of all storms. Here was Katrina. <laughs> all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God, it says, threw this storm in the direction of Jonah. And the sailors are all upset and freaking out. But where's Jonah? Jonah is sleeping. And we discovered last week that oftentimes people who are backslidden and rebellious and selfish, they do a lot of sleeping. They're selfish. They don't really care that it's affecting anybody else. All they really care about at that point is about themselves anyway. And so Jonah is sleeping while everybody else is trying to figure out how they're going to save their lives. And so they cast lots. Remember that? We, we don't, that, that's not a method that's used today any longer. We find in Acts chapter uh, one, that was the last time in Scripture lots were cast. But in the Old Testament, it's a common thing. The lot fell upon Jonah. And so they began to, to, to find out, you know, what is going on, Jonah? Give us some insight here as to why all this is happening. Ultimately, Jonah just says, look, it's me, guys. Okay, it's me. Uh, just throw me overboard. And that wasn't a good thing because what Jonah was saying when he said that was, I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. And so they throw Jonah overboard, and we stopped right there. Actually, I had some folks say, you know, hey, man, you didn't finish Jonah chapter 1. Why'd you stop right there? And I said, well, that was a good stopping place because, you see, at that point, Jonah wasn't swallowed by the whale. Jonah wasn't sitting in the whale's belly, which is not a good place to be. In fact, God wants us to repent immediately when God gets our attention. Listen, a storm should get our attention. And, and, and so what we want to get in the habit of doing is learning to repent. Uh, learning to, to get right with God before things get worse. In fact, last week we said that the longer you stay backslidden, uh, the harder it gets. And so God wants to get our attention. But in Jonah's case here, in chapter 2, it ended up getting, getting, getting worse. 
And so we're, we're going to begin by just jumping right into this and giving you five steps this morning. This would be called a five-step process by which God gets our undivided attention. Because that's what God was after here. And that's ultimately what God got. He got Jonah's attention. But I want you to see the process in which he got his attention. And I want us to learn from that process. Because it's a process that I think all of us this morning need. Whatever it is in your life that, that is an area of disobedience. Please don't think this morning we're just talking about those who God has called you to preach. We're not just talking to that small group which may consist of, of nobody in this building at this moment. We're talking about all of us whom God has called to obedience in areas of our lives that oftentimes span different compartments of our lives. For instance, marriage. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been pastoring for 25 years and I've seen a lot of disobedience in marriage. I've seen a lot of marriages that determined that they would not put themselves in a place of obedience to, to, to heal their marriage. And, 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 and I understand there's a lot of different scenarios there. But, man, if you're still in the game, maybe there's an area of obedience that God's calling you to in your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's an area of disobedience in your finances, and God is trying to get your attention. Maybe it's your personal walk with God and, and just your, your base, the basic Christian life, the, the prayer, the Bible study, the attendance of church. Maybe going to a small group and you find yourself kind of running in the opposite direction. Maybe it's God's calling you to do something specifically in the church for him. And you're avoiding that and you're resisting that. Are you with me? So I don't know what area it is. I really don't. I have no idea. But I'm guessing that if you're anything like me, that you've got an area that maybe you're resisting God in. And that there is going to come at some point in this series, hopefully this morning, an illumination, an awakening, an enlightening. Where you wake up out of your sleep and say, you know, I, I, I need to cry out to God. So let's, let's, let's look at this. Five steps. First of all, uh, <clears throat> I want you to notice in verse number 15, as we move out of Jonah chapter 1, they took up Jonah, they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. So, first of all, it's just... I think it'd be, it would be a good thing for us to recognize the fact that as soon as, as, soon as Jonah was thrown all overboard, the, the, sea, the, the storm stopped. I mean, it was an immediate thing. And there's, there's going to be a, a time in this message where we're going to see that it doesn't take God long to work. God is willing to work quickly if we're willing to, to humble ourselves. If we're willing to get right, in this situation, Jonah is thrown overboard. The sea stops from its raging. Verse 16 even tells us that these men who were unsaved and did not know the Lord, they feared the Lord. In fact, it says exceedingly they feared him and they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and they made vows unto the Lord. So let's go and give this first step, this first step in this process of hearing the voice of God clearly. And that is number one. There, there is going to be, in, in, in hearing God's voice, there's going to be, number one, a breakdown. Always. There will always be, when God gets our attention, a breakdown. 
Now let me show you what I'm talking about. Look, if you will, at verse number 17. It says, the Lord prepared. Another word for prepared, and you may have a translation with the word appointed. Either one is good. Prepared, appointed. Actually, I, I think the word appointed is, is slightly more significant when we begin to think about the fact that the word appointed oftentimes shows up in Scripture, and it indicates this, and it's very, very revealing, that the definition of appointed here or prepared is that God has a place and a plan and a purpose for everyone. That's, let's establish that right now. God has a plan. It's not just Jonah that God had a plan for. It's you. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's the seniors here on the front row. God has a plan. He's appointed a plan. He knows all about it. You don't. You just know the next step or the next call or the next move. And they told us what their next step was. And that was awesome. I love it. It seems like there's direction in the life of every one of these young people. Didn't you see that? It seems as if, wow, they know. They are prepared. They have heard from God about their next step. And that's what it's all about. God has appointed a purpose and a plan for everyone. It's kind of like a chess game. God always knows the next move. Sometimes we're confused about the next move, but God sees the move before we make it. God knows the move we need to make. And for all of us, there are appointed in our lives seasons of trouble, seasons of affliction. For all of us, there has been appointed by God storms. You see here, it says that that God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Here is an appointment that Jonah had with God. We find this all through Scripture. In Job chapter 23 and verse 14, it says, For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. God will always perform what he has appointed for you. Always. He'll never miss an appointment. Trust me, you may, but God won't. You'll try to avoid it, and Jonah tried to avoid it. But, but God is going, God is going to see his children through the storm. As soon as, and we'll see in a minute this process, but the first one is this one. We see also in Job chapter 7, verse 3, that so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights. Anybody had one of those nights? See, anybody had a sleepless night? Anybody had a night you kept waking up, you just couldn't go to sleep? See, anybody had a night where you knew God was dealing with you? Yeah, that's all of us. Those nights have been appointed by God. Wow. We go on to see in Psalm chapter 102, verse 13 again. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3, verse 3 and 4, it says that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. You know that you're destined for this. This is a destiny that God has in your life. And there are going to be afflictions beforehand. And then in... Hebrews 9, 27, the very sobering verse that it's appointed unto man once to die. All of us have an appointment with death. All of us do. It's it's an appointment. God knows that day and God knows that moment. And after that, the judgment. For those that are are saved, it'll be the the judgment seat of Christ. That's the appointment, another appointment that all of us are are going to have to make that that are Christians to give an account for our lives. The great white throne judgment for those who die without Christ. And then for the, the famous chapter, the famous uh, 
paragraph of scriptures found in Ecclesiastes in chapter number three. To everything there's a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born. A time to die. A time to plant. A time to pluck. Pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill. A time to heal. A time to break down. Time to build up. Time to weep. Time to laugh. Time to mourn. Time to dance. Appointed times in our lives. This was an appointed time in Jonah's life. Think about it. And God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God appointed this. God did this. I'm trying to think ahead. I'm trying, how did this work out? So you got the whale at the bottom of the ocean, and all of a sudden, bing, I think I'm hungry. I've just been kind of floating around down here, and you study a whale, they don't eat every day. They only eat at certain times, so, but, but this whale is all of a sudden hungry. And so he says, you know what? I think I'll go find me something to eat. So he begins to move towards the surface of the ocean. And he just decides to jump out there and see what's out there. And as soon as he jumps out, he's like, whoa, dude's coming overboard. He's like, perfect timing. Whoo, man, that was easy. He goes back down in the ocean. And Jonah is in the belly of that fish. In fact, it's no place you want to be, trust me. The temperatures in the belly of a whale are anywhere from 105 to 114. By the way, how many of you liked the weather yesterday? Amen. Those of you that worked outside, wasn't that great? Hallelujah for spring weather in August. I think someone told me three years ago on the same day in August, Arkansas, 114. Wasn't this a good day yesterday? Amen. In the belly of the whale, 105 to 115. Gastric juices. I won't go any further. Just say that. This is a bad place to be. Why was he there? God wanted Jonah's full attention. God did. God appointed this. And so God aggressively, relentlessly goes after us when we are disobedient. God wants our attention to the point where he's willing to do some pretty radical things to get our attention. This is about as radical as it gets. But the truth is, 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 is God right now is working in your life to bring you to him, to bring you back to a place of obedience in an area of your life that you're disobedient. Because you see, God would rather you live anywhere than you live in disobedience. Anywhere. God would rather you be in a hospital bed right now than living in disobedience. God would rather you be in bankruptcy than living in disobedience. God would rather you be in the belly of a whale than living in disobedience. That's how much God loves you. Love's like a hurricane. Hurricane. I am the tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And all of a sudden, here's the fish. Here's the fish. All of a sudden, he comes. God is trying to get our attention. He's after us. He loves us. Oh, see, we look at it as how could God know? He loves us so much that he'll send a fish if he needs to. He'll do whatever it takes to get us back in his will, to get us obedient to him. This is the story of Jonah. God wants our full, undivided attention. And sometimes that means there's going to be a breakdown. Number two, 
Secondly, the posture, that's the call, but the posture to God's getting our attention is what we're going to call lay down. God is going to require us to lay down before him. He'll break us down to lay us down. In fact, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, that he was swallowed up uh, by that fish. But notice it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we already know from the last verse in chapter 2, we already know this, that as soon as Jonah repented, the fish spit him up. Which means that could have happened five minutes after he was swallowed by the whale. It could have. Amen? I mean, you, you, think, you think God's into, into making us suffer beyond the time we need to? No. So I'm wondering, Jonah, dude, what is going on with you? I mean, you are inside a fish's belly. What are you doing down there? God's trying to get your attention. Are you serious? One day goes by. What's he doing the first day? Probably trying to kill himself. He's still trying to find a way to kill himself. Remember, when he jumped overboard, he was trying to kill himself. He's like, throw me overboard. I don't care if I live or die. He's probably running around trying to find some stick in that whale's belly to stab himself with. He's like, stink, it keeps breaking. I can't. He's trying to find a way to end it all. Second day, I'm not sure what he did. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was trying to dehydrate. I don't know what he was trying to do, but... But three days. You know what's amazing to me? It's amazing to me how some can run from God for three days, three months, three years before they finally lay down and humble themselves before God. Only when we are broken and humbled and prostrate before God does he have our full attention. Only when we are broken. And humbled before God. You see, it's very interesting with God. But never forget this. With God, the way up is down. That's, what, that's the way it is with God. The way up is down. God, God wants us to lay down our lives. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I want to forget about my own desires, what I want. I, I, I yield myself to you, God. I lay myself down to you, God. So there is, a, there is a breakdown, and then there's a laydown. And then there is, in this process, a look up. See, after you break down and lay down, then you're ready to look up, because that's the only place you can look. I lift up my eyes until the hills from whence cometh my help. And help is always there and help is always ready to be on the way. Let's look at it together in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. This could have been after three days. Finally, he prays to God and says, I cried by reason of mine affliction. And the Lord, he heard me out of the belly of hell. Think about that. Out of the belly of hell. In other words, Jonah was admitting this is hell on earth. Running from God is hell. Being out of God's will is like hell. This is horrible. He admits in this verse that he's crying out of a desperate situation. And it says, and thou heardest my voice. 
Jonah finally gives up. He finally gives up and he says, God, what do you want me to do? And notice God's response. God's response is this. And he heard me. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Isn't that great? He heard me. He heard me. Look at verse 3 and look at verse 4. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Jonah is recognizing this came from God. This storm was from God. He sees it now. He sees God was using this to break him down, to lay him down. And then he says in verse 4, I am cast out of thy sight. All right, wait a minute. Class, let me ask you a question. Did Jonah feel like he was cast or expelled out of the sight of God? Did he feel that way? Yes, he did. You're right. Next question, class. Was Jonah cast out or expelled from the sight of God? No. What Jonah thought was not true. All right, let me make it personal. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Have you ever felt like, God, where are you? I don't feel your presence. Where are you? I, have you ever felt cast out of his sight? I have. I don't know that anybody would say they haven't at some point in their life felt this way. But were we right to feel that way? No, we were wrong. God was never out of our sight. He is always a very present help in time of need. He was right there all the time. That's our God. You may have come here this morning thinking like Jonah was thinking. I just don't know. I, I don't see God in this. But God is relentlessly pursuing you. He is saying, listen, give up, stop it, and lay down and look up. Because no matter how low you get, you can always reach God. And God can always reach you. You can always reach God. And God can always reach you. You're never out of the reach of God. That's what Butch was saying in this moment when he said, no height, no depth. There's no way you can get away from God's love. It is relentless. It is, it is endless. It is infinity for you. Wow. That's why that song we just sang in worship was so powerful. If grace were an ocean, we're all sinking. What about those lyrics? Those lyrics mean anything to you? If grace were an ocean, we're all singing. It's amazing. God's love, God's grace. So amazing. Look at verse 5. The waters can pass me about, even to the death or to the soul. Even to the death. I, I thought I was dead. I thought I, it was over. There was no hope. The depth closed me round about the weeds were wrapped about my head i'm almost wondering if that was inside the belly of that whale the nasty weeds that the whale had consumed were wrapped around his head you can only imagine how disgusting that moment must have been for job he's recognizing how low he was it says in verse six i went down to the bottom of the mountain the earth with her bars was about me forever that's what jonah thought 
Jonah thought this was it. The weeds, uh, rather, uh, yet, verse 6b, yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption. Hallelujah. He said, God, you've done it. You have brought my life out of corruption. The miry clay, the, the, bale, the, the, the belly of that whale. You've done this, God. You've helped me through this. Oh, Lord, my God. What a powerful passage of Scripture. I'm reminded here of the verse in Exodus 34, verse 6b. The Lord. The Lord God. Merciful. Gracious. Long-suffering. Abundant in goodness and truth. How do you like that verse? Is that not a good verse? That's Exodus. Reminding us of who God is. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's good. He's always right. That's our God. How do you like that? He makes no mistakes. We do. But he doesn't. And he's always there to pick us up and love us in spite of our mistakes. It's amazing, isn't it? What a mighty God we serve. And then I want to give you the fourth thought. Once we have breakdown and lay down and look up, here's the purpose of all of that, to get us fired up. The goal of God getting our attention is to fire us up. God wants you and I to be fired up for him. You see that here in verse number seven. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came unto thee, into the holy temple. Verse eight, he starts preaching that they observe lying vanities, forsake their own mercy. Ah, Job's getting fired up now. He's already preaching. He's not not even in Nineveh yet. And he's already getting with it. I like to be around fired up people. But I'm afraid the church has many people in it. The church of the living God has many people that are acting as if they're dead. There's no fire. There's no excitement anymore. I mean, listen, can I tell you something? You may say, preacher, you know, I don't know why you get so excited about a work day. What do you mean? Have you seen the property? There was like 70 people that showed up yesterday. We had 171 hours. The, the work of God is beautiful. The buildings are clean. The offering plates are even shiny. Because we shined them. The carpets are vacuumed. The grass is cut. The weeds are out. The trees are trimmed. You say, what are you so fired up about? I get fired up about the work of God. I get fired up about the music. I get fired up about what God's doing in the lives of our missionaries. That's why I love to give to missions. Because I want to be a part of what God's doing. I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to be a participator. I often tell people, because I'm really afraid people would think of me as a freak show. I honestly believe that some people just literally to, to save themselves would just say, well, that's just how he is. Bless his heart. I wish I had your energy. I'd bottle it up. This is not... This is not some sort of a potion. This is not something you can bottle up. This is the Holy Spirit of God inside of me that's coming out. You can't help it when he's in. If he's alive, he's coming out. It's just the way it is. I mean, this is not something that none of you uh, can, can, can have. This is all of us can experience what I'm speaking of as a firing up. But it's only after we break down and lay down and look up that we can fire up and say, God, what do you have for me? I'm ready to go. You know, I sometimes think we, 
celebrate recovery Friday nights. We had over 100. Friday night they had revival in here. I mean, I heard about it. Well, bless their hearts, you know, they, those folks, those, those bad habits. It's just good to see them getting right with God. Well, first of all, it's not just for bad habits. It's for hurts, habits, and hiccups, and what else? Hang-ups. It's for, it's for the stuff you got too. I mean, the truth of the matter, hey, when I go on Friday night, you know, I, I spoke one time, and, and they said, make sure you get up there, you know, you identify yourself. And I did. I, I, I identified who I was, and I had me some hang-ups, and I've got some hurts. So before we dismiss ourselves and just say, well, bless their hearts, you know. You know, sometimes, again, I, th- I think we just like to kind of look at ourselves as, as just a, we got our act together because we, we look the part and we, we, we know how to carry our Bibles right and, and, and we think we're okay. The truth of the matter is, is I found that some of those folks who try to look the part find themselves in a, in a really bad way because there's no transparency and honesty. Friday nights, what's happening at Celebrate Recovery is is, is people are fired up about God. God has restored them and reclaimed them. They were running from God. They come back to God and they found he is the source of all hope. And they still got problems and they're still working through things and they're not perfect. No, by no means. Neither are we. It's not about comparing ourselves with one another and saying, well, I'm better. Well, I don't have that problem. I don't smoke dope. Well, what do you do? Come on, tell us. We want to know. You don't smoke dope. Great. What do you do? Because you do something. I mean, the only other thing you can say is, I'm perfect. Oh, okay. So you and Jesus save. I didn't know that. Great. We got two people. I'm glad to know somebody else can save us because you, no, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just, I'm just simply reminding all of us that this is not about self-righteousness. And this is not about putting ourselves in a place where we feel as if we're okay. This is about admitting, God, there's an area of my life that I, I need to be obedient in. Look at verse 9. This sums it all up. Two more verses and we're done. Verse 9 says this. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Here it is. Those are the two words God wants to hear from all of us. I will. I will, God. I will. God is speaking to us and he just wants to hear, I will. He doesn't want to hear, throw me overboard. Yeah, just, just kill me. I know I'm bad. Okay. I know I got problems. Okay, whatever. No. God would much rather hear, thank you, God. Salvation is of the Lord. You've saved me from my sins and I will. I will do what you want me to do. That's what God wants to hear. I will. That's it. And Jonah finally got to that place where he said, I will, God, I will obey. What a great thing to say to God. I will. I will. And then finally, we're done. There's a breakdown. There's a lay down. There's a look up. There's a fire up. And finally, there's throw up. Well, actually, <laughs> I, wanted to, I didn't want to put that in your notes. <laughs> so... I put this in your notes. The result of God getting our attention is let up. (laughs) God lets up. If you want God to let up, take the pressure off. 
then just lay down, look up, fire up, and God will let up. Sometimes you got to wipe the throw up off, you know. <laughs> Amen. But it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing to know that he'll cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Amen. Jonah got out of that way, probably peeling seaweed off his head. He probably like, this is, I need a shower. You ever felt that way? I just need to, you know, that's one thing Tim and I talked about, Tim Worthington that got baptized. One thing we talked about was, you know, that we know the water doesn't have any mystical powers or it, it's, it's, you know, we are in hot springs anyway. And, uh, <laughs> we know that, but we, there is a significant message in the water that says it washes us. There's a message there. It's not that we get up there to, you know, to, to, we're not baptized over and over and over again, you know, in a, in a symbolic way. But we are, in a sense, free to approach God's throne and, and, and seek forgiveness and, and, and cleansing from our sins because he loves us and he wants to cleanse us. He wants us to be clean before him. So here's what we need to do. Stop resisting. Quit resisting. Stop fighting. Just give in. It's great. That's what I have to do all the time. I have to just quit resisting God. He, he's wanting me to be closer to him. He's pulling me back to him. And stupid me, what am I doing? He loves me. He knows what's best for me. And I'm resisting. I am fighting God. I did that. I'm so glad Hedy Lou Brooks is here this morning. Good to see you, Hedy Lou. I love you so much. And she knows a little bit of my story with the... I resisted for years. I really knew better than the way... I was leading this church. I knew better, but I was resisting. I was resisting. We were, we, we were just here and we didn't fellowship or pray with anybody or participate in any other. And, and we were just a very introverted church. And I knew, I knew that God was dealing with me a long time before I gave in and broke down and laid down. I knew. Why did I resist God for all those years? Well, I'm glad I quit resisting. It's just been wonderful to see God work in our community in a, in a fresh way, in a real way, in a powerful way to, 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 to see two churches. In fact, Hedy Lou actually was the founder and, attended, and attends the church there at Brook Hill Ranch. Her, her son is the pastor now. And he, are, he and I are becoming best friends. He called me up Monday. I said, hey, Tim. I said, man, I figured you'd be tired of me by now. I mean, I invaded your building for three days. And he said, oh, no, man. This is Monday. He said, actually, he said, I miss you. He goes, I just had a staff meeting this morning. We just talked about how fun that was. How much we enjoy doing Team Revolution with you guys. We've never worked with a group so godly, he said. He said, we've never worked with a group that was after souls and just, we were like blown away. We sat there, we were, we were skeptical at first. Ah, we'll see. We'll see if they really clean up after their mess. We'll see if, he goes, we were skeptical. And now we're, we're convinced. You guys really are wanting to work together. We really do want to be a team. And I said, yes, Tim, this is the beginning of great things. What am I saying? I'm saying I'm so thankful I quit resisting God. You see, I've been a Jonah. I've run from God. I've been going as far west as I can go from God. When he wants me to go east, I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm running. I don't want that God. You don't know me, God. I've done all of that stuff. And I'm still at times prone to wander. Still. 
I don't think I'll ever stop till I see him face to face. Because I'm just this old flesh. I guess if Paul had a problem with it, I can. The things that I should do, I don't. The things that I'm beginning to understand. I used to think, you know, bless Paul's heart. He's just not as spiritual as we are. If I would have been writing the Bible, I would have put that in there. First of all, because it's embarrassing. It's too transparent. It's actually letting people know that you're not perfect. And preachers have to be perfect. Do you like it when I pull up my pants? I'm losing weight. I can't pull up my pants. <laughs> but you see, God wants us to be honest. And there's something free about being able to say, I'm not perfect, but God's not finished with me yet. He's still pursuing me. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to give an invitation here. And everything, I say this sometimes, just because I don't want anybody to feel rushed. Hey, we're on time. We're, we can let the Lord move and allow him to, to let us know if we need to respond this morning in a specific way. I mentioned earlier that the invitation time is, I look at it slightly different sometimes when I preach certain messages. I, I'm not concerned this morning even about a certain number coming. I just feel like this is one of those invitation messages. I just, I just really believe this is one of those mornings where maybe more of us need to come and, and just get on our face and just come to God and humble ourselves and say, God, I'm sorry. I, I've been running in this area. I've been disobedient in this area and I want to just get something right this morning. No judgment. No judgment this morning. If you're not saved this morning, if you are like Maybe those sailors on that boat. And you've never seen God really move like you've seen him move this morning. And you're, you're beginning to, to see something and feel something in your spirit that reminds you of, of something you may have heard in the past. We're all sinners and God loves us and he died for us and he wants to save us from a place called hell. He wants us to live forever with him in eternity in a place called heaven. He has paid that price for us on the cross and you'd like to come to him this morning. Well, we're going to be up front and we'd love to take a moment and talk with you. And so I'm going to pray and we'll give this invitation. And if you need to come, the altars are open as we sing, oh, how he loves us. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for this great book in the Bible. Lord, often I, I think about how for all of eternity, everybody knows Job's dirty laundry. I mean, it's out there. It's, there's no escaping it. Poor Jonah. His life is an open book. But I want my life to be an open book, God. I want, I want people to know that I'm no better than Jonah. And God, I need you as bad as he needed you. And I need to repent as often as he needed to repent. I find myself repenting more after salvation. Now that I understand what's truly required of me as a Christian. To be obedient and to follow you. So, Father, bless this invitation. May it... May there be a freedom in this place for at least a few moments to, to, to feel that there's no judgment at the altar. The ground is level at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?